Welcome to season two of Media Minded, the show guiding you through the age of disinformation. We'll be speaking to ex-conspiracy theorists, exploring their journeys in and out of the rabbit hole of misinformation, as well as experts. Yes, those people who've decided to completely disregard this decade. Well, we're bringing them back because, and this might just be me, years of study trumps a three minute YouTube video. Join us as we explore unconscious bias and address those who would sacrifice truth, integrity and objectivity on the altar of disinformation, propaganda and conspiracy. This podcast is produced by Shoutout UK, the leading political and media literacy education platform and is made possible by the generous support and sponsorship of the US Embassy here in London. I am your host, Matteo Bergamini founder and CEO of Shoutout UK, here to challenge your understanding over the world around you and hopefully not challenge your attention span. Six January 2021. We all watched in horror as a mob of rioters and pro-Trump supporters descended upon the steps of Capitol Hill, waving Confederate flags and symbols of the far right. The image of the United States as a champion of democracy and of freedom disintegrated and dissipated before our very eyes. Instead, what we were witnessing was an insurrection of the far right, emboldened by extremist ideology and conspiratorial thinking. Amongst this crowd of MAGA hats, 33-year-old Jacob Chansley stood large and proud. As the self-proclaimed QAnon shaman, he walked triumphantly through the Senate chamber wearing a headdress fashioned from buffalo horns and coyote skin. Painted with vibrant colors of the American flag, Chansley became an emblem for the QAnon movement, whilst the rest of us stood by in utter disbelief. He is symptomatic of the current cultural climate we live in, one in which the proliferation of conspiracy theories and the rising appeal of cultism has become the new norm. These seeds of extremism have flourished during the COVID-19 pandemic, from the coalescing of the anti-vaccine movement to the anti-mask protests that have spread like wildfire across the globe. Such sentiments flourish in times of flux and vulnerability. For many, cult groups and conspiracy theories have provided individuals with an antidote to the potent mixture of isolation, loneliness, and uncertainty. How do we even begin to combat and uproot these potentially harmful groups? Well, we've brought Richard Turner along to help lead the way. If you missed it, we spoke to Richard an ex-cult member in part one of this episode on cults. In it, he unveiled his descent into a coercive church group and how they took control over his finances, his relationship, and his understanding of language. In this episode, we pick up Richard's story, kicking off with the moment he realized he needed to leave. He offers up insight into how current online communities operate and how they compare to his own personal experience. We supplemented this discussion by speaking to David Robertson, a lecturer at the Open University, on how the internet has affected the discourse around cults, religion and the internet. Strap in ladies and gentlemen, we've heard all about Richard's descent, now it's time we take this roller coaster up 
for our final ride into why he decided to leave. For many coercive groups, whether it be religious or not, there is a real skewed sense of safety, stability and certainty. When we find ourselves in particularly vulnerable moments in our lives, we tend to turn towards the people around us to help us navigate through these challenges. As for Richard, once the cracks in his relationship with his partner at the time began to deepen, he found himself more deeply entrenched in the group. So at that time, I was very confused, really depressed. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't understand it. I didn't know anything about the psychology I, did I do now. And so I was, I was totally like, uh, they, they totally ripped me guts out, basically. Um, and obviously, alongside this, I'm not looking after myself because I'm giving them all the money. Um, I haven't got any money to do anything for myself um, or buy anything for myself. Um, um, you know, so all that's going on and there's all the, the, the grooming and my mind has been changed by some of the teachings and the beliefs. And so I wasn't in a particularly good way. But I just left it for, for a number of weeks. But then this, this manager then said, oh, I'm going to help you through this, which is a bit sickening, really, given the fact he probably played a part in the, the situation to begin with. Mm -hmm. And so we started meeting every week. And that's when the heavy coercion started happening then. You know, you need to get more involved in the church. You need to come and volunteer and, and help pack away all the equipment afterwards. And, and I say to him, like, I have no understanding of, of media and lights and sound systems or anything like that. And it's like, oh, you'll, you'll learn. You need to do that. And as I, I was actively saying, like, this isn't like me at all. But it was just every time I'd say something, it was like he was deaf. Like he couldn't hear what I was saying. It was just ignoring me. And it, that was when the heavy coercion started happening. And then, you know, do you want to come and sleep over at our house? And do you want to? And it was week after week after week, these meetings. And then... um. I started giving in and getting more involved. I, my response to this, and my head was not thinking clearly at all at the time, was maybe if I'm, what I can do is if I play the game or I can become more committed and show them how good I am, they'll you know let me speak to her again. Because at that point, I just wanted to talk to her about what was going on because it didn't seem right at all. It was very ruthless, the end. It was like, cut dead, you're done, that's it. Um, so... Um, so that coercion really started. And I went one, one time I went round to his and they even asked me to come and live with them. So my line manager asked me to come and live with them at one point. Um, and so, so at that point, just to clarify, I'm attending two meetings a week. I'm working for them. And then they were asking me, the line manager was asking me to come and live with him, him and his wife. So what, so what pushed you to manoeuvre to leave? Like, you seem to be so, pretty entrenched at this point. Oh yeah. And I get more entrenched. <laughs> so, so I mean, <laughs> So what basically happened, this this is the beginning really though of me kind of, even though I was going deeper into it, psychologically something was going like something's wrong here, mm. beginning to realize properly something was bad, even though, and this is what the strange thing is about it, is it was such a confusing environment. I actually ended up more committed, even though I was inside falling to pieces. Which is fascinating because it's this idea of, you know, something tragic happening within the church, i.e. the breakup of a relationship. Um, and yet that led you um, to being more involved and more committed yes. because it's like what you said, you know, at, at the beginning uh, or, or earliest the idea of, you know, transitions in someone's life is when you when you're the most vulnerable. Um, yeah. Doubly so. Yeah. If you're transitioning something in your life whilst in um, 
a, a toxic environment as, as the yes. one you were in. Definitely. And 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 it's really strange because because I at the time I didn't I didn't know I didn't really quite understand what was actually happening to me. Um, you know, I'm I'm really trying to think back now because it, it it was just an odd. Uh, you know, you can't have a healthy relationship in that environment. You can't have a healthy friendship. You can't because because nothing you say is private. So everything is shared. Everything is, and you you, you become you everything. The real you really thought to me is get pushed, pushed, and pushed down because there's no way for it to come out. Mm. So you're you're acting like everything's fine. You're acting like everything's okay. And this is where like your cults, they call it pseudo identity comes out. Like your fake identity. Like I was really odd and like hi yeah hi and inside dying <laughs> and and i can't and it was, it's a really odd experience because i can't in that environment fully pin down what i was thinking and feeling mm. um in like i remember inside like feeling dead and this is where that conflict comes in it was like two things were going on at the same time and i can look back at that now and see it as a tangible like they were there was coercion it was a cool it was this but at the time, it was totally confusing. I, it, it was it was mayhem. There was so much shame in me because I thought I'd done something awful, which is mm. why, like, I thought, am I am I totally unstable or something? And they've had to like protect her from me, and and the people stopped talking to me. So even though I was living with them, like, I come in and people in the group would be whispering and walking, and I would go up to my room and I think someone's been in this room, and um and. You know, I'd be going to the meetings later on and no one would speak to me. But then now I look back and think, why were you attending then? But I did, I carried on attending. And I, there was this passive aggressive punishment mm. um, against me. And then I went on holiday and I came back and my job role had changed and they started removing responsibility from me. And it's like constructive dismissal. And it was like, it was because the group I was in, very, very, very passive aggressive. No one would ever say they would just punish you, stop talking mm. to you remove responsibility until you just give up. And that's what they did to me. Did you have anyone in your life at this point that you could confide in, in, in regards to what you were Yeah, so a, co- a couple of things. So they did, the charity did hire somebody who was, wasn't was from the cult and was more mature. And I, I went for lunch with him and I confided in him some of the things that, that were going on. And he said, yo, they're clearly something isn't right here. Um, and then when he got back to the office, my line manager, who was part of the cult as well, started questioning, like, who did you go for lunch with? And uh, and he wouldn't tell him. And a few weeks later, we went for lunch again. But by that time, he'd found out it was with me. So we chatted with him and said, who did you go for lunch with? Richard, it was Richard, wasn't it? What 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 what, what was he talking about? Digging for information. And and my friend at that time said, well, I'm, it's private. We just went for lunch together. It's private what we talked about. And then they sacked him. Um, the um, straight after that. Um, and so the one person I had to speak to in that environment who I could trust, they got rid of and removed him suspiciously. Um, they said it was because he wasn't fulfilling his job role properly, but I know for a fact they weren't, they didn't even train him in, in that job role, that part of his job. And it wasn't grounds to sack someone. They just needed a bit of extra training. It was an admin thing. <laughs> so, um, you know, and, and then they, they used that as a, as a way. And I think they did that to isolate me even more. So I had nobody to talk to. Um, I did have connection with my parents, but they were a little bit more vulnerable in that area and didn't quite know. Mm. I, don't, I don't think they quite knew how to, what to do. Uh, eventually my dad said, you know, just move back home, get back home, you know, um, and get out of it. Um, so how I did, did you end back. up getting out? Like what was the, what was the kind of fun? Well, I just had a, just, well, a, 
I got to the point where I was just, I was sick of it. I'd had enough. We were supposed to go on holiday, but I'd given all my money to the cult instead of paying for this holiday. So he had to bail me out, paying for this cycling holiday to get there. Um, I, I, I was either, I had to effectively was having a breakdown. I, I couldn't stop analyzing and thinking and, you know, um, thinking it was me, like I was a bad person because it, it was, it felt like I was, no, no one was shocked by this. And this is the hard thing to try and, um, explain to people when you're in this environment, that all this behavior is not shocking at all. So when no one is surprised or shocked, you think it must be me. It must be me. That's the problem because everyone else thinks this is okay. And that does horrendous amounts of damage. Mm. Uh, it's only when I started sharing the story afterwards with people who weren't in it and saw the horror on the face that I realized how bad it was. Um, but I, I, my self-esteem was cat- catastrophically low when I left and I thought it was me and it was, um, so, um, you know, at that time, just before, just before I actually went or, um, off sick for that first time, I did try to message her, um, and say, come and meet me privately. Don't tell the leaders, don't tell anyone in the cult you're coming to meet me. And they didn't turn up. And then I thought, right, I give up. I've had enough. And then, and then I went off sick, um, for a while. Um, I came back briefly into work and they'd really stripped back my job. They're just trying to get rid of me really, but they mm-hmm. didn't have a a proper way uh, i offloaded it all in a back to work review and even then the two people who did the review with me um were trying to were gaslighting me trying to convince me i was imagining it and i came away thinking it is me i've got mental i'm, I'm mentally unstable um and um I, I eventually just went off on the sick again and didn't go back but i was off sick for six months still on the still technically employed by them but i was so frightened of them I was frightened of sending in my resignation. So it took me six months to build up the college to send an email saying don't want to work here anymore. Cause I was so, it's, wow. it was so irrational. Um, Cause it, you know, you think it's like, it's, it, it's at the time they estimated there was 3000 people in this group. And you, you think in your head, all of these people against me, they've got so much power. They've got this charity that's government funded. Who is going to believe me? It must be me. I, I can't logically, I must be absolutely, I must be just some kind of nightmare hard to deal with. Um, it's only through counseling and studying all this mm-hmm. stuff I realize actually that, uh, you know, the damage is done because I didn't conform, I didn't submit, I stood my ground, I disobeyed, and then all that punishment came then. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's where the, the, you know, where the rubber hit the road with all the damage, really. The vast majority of people are, however, unlikely to immediately cut ties with a toxic group or an environment that breeds such harm. We see this all the time in abusive relationships. Individuals also don't return to a toxic situation or seek it out in other forms because they enjoy the manipulation and control. They either remain in such a group or return to such a group because of a number of complex reasons. This could be for safety, to be heard, or for a sense of belonging. When your whole world view and your core personal identity has merged into the identity of a group, it becomes much easier to be groomed back into a similar situation. My mental state when I came out was, you know, I couldn't work. um, And this is part of the financial impact of this is, you know, I couldn't pay off my overdraft. I was giving them money when I was in debt. 
and I couldn't pay off my old job because I didn't have an income. The, the bank was saying, you've got no money coming into your account. You need to pay this off. Mm-hmm. I got referred to the mental health support at the bank. And to, to the bank's credit, they were really supportive, which you wouldn't expect, but they were. And they paused everything. They gave me space to, to get an income again. Um, but I was it was in such a bad, bad state that, uh, you, know, I, 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 you know, I moved back home. I had no money. I had no job. Um, what saved me a bit was I went straight into teacher training. Mm-hmm. Then to start build, start building a new life. But my self esteem was so low that every time my tutor gave me any encouragement, I just burst out crying um, in 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 the college. But I just couldn't even function. I, I was I was turning up um, to the lessons not as a teacher but as a student, and I'd been awake for forty eight hours. And and then I end and unfortunately, and another part of this story, as he ended up in another two situations at the same time, which were very unhealthy as well. Um, um, with in a, in, a, in, a, in a coercive controlling relationship where where the same thing happened to me again and that was reinforced again and also in a in a with a um a religious uh person who was into exorcisms and things and then i got groomed again straight after twice um you got groomed a into a guy that into a guy that believed in in, in yeah. exorcisms yeah yeah and that went on for about a year and then wrecked my mind even more i didn't they, these are whole other stories so, sorry you're gonna um, I mean, there's, there's no way we're, there's no way we're rolling past that sorry <laughs> <laughs> but um, um well it's classic they call it cult hopping so when you've been in that situation you're very very vulnerable to go back into it again right um so so often people have been in cults end up being in coercive controlling relationships afterwards as as the i'll use the term victim as the victim or, or, or being groomed by another religious cult or another control because well you see this in in, in domestic violence relationships yes. for example where if you are in one and you come out there there's a high chance that you will either go back to that relationship or potentially you know end up in we a similar one go through the same cycle again right and, and i did i did i effectively did um and and then um, so he, have did you perform an exorcism like what's the yes yeah okay yeah. so it was it was massively I was very vulnerable. I bumped into this person in the church, a different church. It was into exorcisms. And he said, oh, but this, this is, this is the, the, the scary thing about this. He used the same phrase on me as the, the, the accountability partner I had in the church, the, the cult. And that phrase was, I like you because you're teachable. And he, he used it. And, the, and my line manager used the same phrase on me. When I told my counsellor that, they said that sent cold shivers through the spine. Um, so I ended up involved in that, and that wrecked my mind even more because when you start going down that road, it's never ending. Mm. So you start thinking demons are everywhere. The, you know, you never. You, you wonder. I mean, was that quite? Demons. Was that that church quite small in comparison to the one it, you were it in? It wasn't technically a church, so it right. was a mainstream church, and this was a small group that they were they were doing this stuff under the radar right um so to speak hunting demons of course well yeah yeah and then i i got obsessed with that and i started getting more and more depressed thinking that this is what the world is like it's evil and dark and horrible and and then and i started realizing this isn't healthy because actually i'm getting worse not better and my, my mental health just deteriorated and um because i was in a situation in a relationship where i was constantly being gaslighted and constantly been told how selfish I was mm. until I just cracked and I started developing speech problems then. Um, and it was only when I went to university to do my master's that they pulled, they noticed. And the mental health person said, something's wrong here. Um, you need to, 
you don't need to stay in this situation. You don't need to stay in this relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got out and I got the therapy needed. So unfortunately, there's a whole other aspect of my story. I don't actually share very often, but it is, I ended up in, a, in a, an equally unhealthy situation straight afterwards that even that cemented some of that negative yeah. stuff as well. Now, the idea of cult hopping is not a relatively new concept, nor is it that uncommon. The difference now is that these echo chambers of extremist coercive rhetoric have latched on and rooted itself onto our digital landscape. From Reddit to 4chan to TikTok, there has been a tectonic shift in news consumption. Traditional news outlets and state-run media are no longer the gatekeepers of information. Instead, social media has been thrust to the forefront of the news cycle. Now with every thumbs up, retweet, comment and like, we are each individually creating our own wonderland of like-minded individuals online. Do you think the role of the state has changed in that respect? Has it just lost its role as, as that kind of gatekeeper? I think it is losing its, uh, you know, I would say hegemony. It's its overall control of the narrative, shall we say. Absolutely. And I, I think we can see what's happening with the internet today as, as in the same way that the printing press changed everything, right? With the printing press, the church lost control of religion, okay, and you uh, you lost control over what was truth, right? We wouldn't have what we now think of as science if the church hadn't lost its ability to tell everyone what the truth was. Right? Oh yeah, of course. And um, you know, the, the printing press, the one of the first things that happened was the publication of Bibles in vernacular languages. Um, and that led directly to Protestantism and, a, you know, a change in the way that religion worked mm-hmm. in, in the West. And we're seeing the same thing, but on a much even bigger scale with the Internet that the. Um, I mean, you know, well, the barrier to entry is even lower now Like you know, the printing but, press required yeah. certain investment, whereas now um, for free, you can start putting out a narrative. Almost. Well, it was cheap building a church, um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's now now the barrier is what the price of a smartphone. Or I mean, the price of uh, yeah, I mean, opening a, a Instagram account is is certainly cheaper than buying and building a church. That's that's for sure, right? Yeah, and and think about the fact that um, the you know everybody in the world is carrying around better video technology than I would have ever had access to, even at a college or sometimes mm. even a professional studio three decades ago you know that's how much this has democratized everything right mm-hmm. it's democratized knowledge claims now this that's really is... interesting because that is a good thing as well as a bad thing depending on how you look right at it. exactly because so there's more of everything right so it's more garbage but it's also more people challenging that garbage it's also more people critiquing the state now that it this it's really not good for states the way that they are set up at the moment because they're still mostly that sort of post-war where a strong state means we don't have ideologies like you know stalinism and nazism 
we've got a strong, solid state, and there's a one narrative coming out. But that narrative is way, way weaker. It's getting challenged much quicker. If you look at the way that wars are running now, um, even back to the sort of Gulf Wars, and then go back to the eighties, look at the way that things. Uh, something like Iran Contra was years and years to come out, you know, through local journalism. Um, it only ever got touched by the mainstream well, the media. The, 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 um, the Contra scandal was, was huge when it finally broke, um, but it was a massive yes, investigation. But took, yeah. But it took a court case and a big investigation for anybody to even hear about that. Mm. Whereas now stuff, you know, independent journalism is going straight onto Twitter and we're hearing about um, media manipulations, you know, the same day. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that is, it's just a different ballgame. Now there's, there's, the, the common sort of perception is that conspiracy theories and cults just spread like wildfire on the internet. Now, the thing is, though, that everything's on the internet. Everything spreads on the internet because that's where most people are engaging with most of the media. Mm -hmm. But there are, there's a few specific kind of issues, which is that it's so much easier to find. Now, that means in some cases, Yes, anybody can go and search for a conspiracy theory and find it very easily. But they can also find things debunking it very, very easily. But and, do they, um, though? That's the point, though. Because, I mean, I, 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 see your, I see your point in the sense that, you know, everything's available in the sense that, you know, um, a, a big one, I think, was of a, uh, a shark that ended up on the freeway in some city in the States after a flood, for example. And that picture mm -hmm. kind of does the rounds every time there's a flood. I can't remember which city it is. Um, and that's been debunked by um, a, a fact checker a number of times. Um, but what's interesting is the shareability of, of both. You know, the, the shark on the freeway goes viral. You know, I'm talking thousands of, of retweets and, and shares and all that. Whereas the debunked, uh, the, the article debunking it only gets a couple of hundred. So, right, yeah, it's not as fun. Well, exactly. Um, that's the point. So, although, yes, everything's available online, it, it's not about necessarily being available, I'd say. It's the fact that we that conspiracy theories and things like um i don't know QAnon, for example like they 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 as you said before they apply to our emotional um as opposed to um our, our rational trail of thought in the sense that we you know we want to believe this stuff to be true we we, we have certain biases that these things play on um which discourages is... us from looking into if it's true or not Right. But that ignores quite an important difference between the social media media sphere and traditional media, mm. which is that somebody sharing something doesn't mean they believe it. And it's been something that's actually been really hard to analyze and analysts are starting to do this work now. But when something goes viral, we're making an uh, we're, we're wrong if we make the assumption that everybody who's sharing that thinks it's true. Now, some people will think it's true. Some people will read it and go, oh, I wonder. Other people will be like, look at these idiots. Other people will just think it's funny. And, you know, the, 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 um, the idea of, of belief, like the idea that we either sort of fully believe something or we don't fully believe it, is kind of too simplistic. Actually, I mean, if you look at um, Joseph Yusinski's work, he's done consistent polling on QAnon and other, he, I mean, he's really the expert on on uh, conspiracy theories on the internet. Mm -hmm. 
And his take on it is that actually the core number of people, um, the core percentage of people who like true believers you know, is about 6% and has never really got any larger than that. Um, now, interestingly, about 10, 15 years ago, there was a survey of um, done by Pew of uh, how right-wing conspiracy theorists, no, how right-wing people accepted conspiracy theories. And they, one of them was, you know, do you think that um, members of the government are reptilian aliens? And that came up at 4%. So I, there, are, there is just this core of people who have these kind of ideas and it doesn't really grow all that much, but our attention to it does, the way that people interact with that information certainly does. People become interested, like they, during COVID, people became really, really interested in vaccine, vaccine conspiracies, and also QAnon, QAnon stuff. And a lot of the traffic is that, it's people who'd never heard of it, suddenly getting interested, searching for it, sharing stuff. You know, if you've got a meme, um, you know, a QAnon meme that, that goes viral, it's being shared by as many people who are mocking it as people who are, you know, taking it seriously. It's just a different media ecosphere than we've ever had before. And it's proving really, really difficult. But what happens is when you have this hybrid media environment where you have traditional media running at the same time and having a particular audience amongst older, more conservative people, um, they are picking up on, on these kind of trends, but then they're reporting it in a much more simple way. And um, that has its own kind of problems and um, because it seem it can you can make something seem much much larger and and more extreme and more black and white when you pick up on a few tweets when you're able to search for something very easily and come up with um you know oh there's millions of people uh who believe the earth is flat when it actually kind of distorts the reality mm. of what's going on but but that is really a new kind of way of engaging with media that we're still getting our heads right well, i mean it's, it's, it hasn't been around for that long um if yeah, you think yeah. about it so you know and it's changing constantly right right i mean technology if you think between you know the current generation of young people the, the current generation of kind of adults and, and the older generation is is immense like the changes in the last you know 30 years has been incredible um, of what right. we see, and I mean, just look at the kind of computers that we used to have, and and, and comparison to now, and the kind of phones we used to have in comparison to now. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned this thing about about um, conspiracy theories just being more talked about now, because obviously the fact that they're more in the limelight, the fact that you know QAnon, the the Great Replacement theory, the a number of various conspiracy theories that came out of COVID, etc., like the fact that they're being talked about now just gives the perception that they are would you say bigger than they are like there's there's this kind of theory at the moment that this is a a growing problem that's kind of come out the blue um would you argue that's not the case that this has always kind of existed or I, yeah i would um it's, i remember writing my phd on this stuff and like arguing with people I, I was looking at alex jones back before alex jones was you know before sandy hook before trump before mm. all of this stuff and people just saying, you know, why is this important? Why should we be looking at this? This is just some fringe US thing. It's not important in any way. It was there if you knew if you knew about it. Um, 
it was the same material as well. Um, COVID, uh, you know, the anti-vax stuff, it, actually there were riots and protests in the 19th century um, about vaccines, like literally within a year of the first smallpox vaccines by uh, Alfred Jenner, there were um, mass protests, leafleting campaigns, there was riots in New York where effigies of Jenner were held up and burnt with, you know, hundreds of thousands of people at them. And it was the same narratives as well, that this was a made-up disease, that, um, that they were doing it for doctors to make money, that it was a way of controlling the population, um, that it was, it was against religion, all of the same arguments, right? And this is 150 years ago, and it's on a similar scale. Um, it's just, uh, it, it's you can't really search it on the internet. So it's it maybe doesn't have quite the same media reach, but it certainly affected people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think... Do you, do you think that having <laughs> this level of, of, of openness of it, the fact that... Um, you know you most people are aware of them now um has the possibility we, of 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 accidentally making them grow well there just isn't that much evidence of them growing um what i want to i just want to jump back there was something quite important yeah now every so often a conspiracy theory will kind of go mainstream right it'll go wide and when it does it's almost always to do with the body it's often to do with children the body and even when it's kind of the more sort of racial and ethnic ones it often takes on a sense of being about the body because people are talking about the nation being infected you know mm. a plague coming um we must be cleansed, right? Like Putin said like a couple of days ago, if you look at Nazi propaganda, it's all talks about Jews like a disease, right? right? This is a common thing. Now, the reason for this is because when people feel their bodies or their children's bodies are under attack, and it happens quite a lot, but don't forget that the, the vaccine, for instance, you can go from case to case backwards in history, like the MMR vaccine stuff that, kicked off in the 1990s i mean that's really it's not pre-internet but it's pre-internet right? right you know it's not the social media age. um and that was that was so huge that um it, it actually affected the rate of measles and mumps infections in britain and the u.s so many people were hearing about this we can also look at the kind of um more recent examples of the sort of satanic ritual abuse stuff in the 2000s, kind of after the, um, you know, way after governments had stopped talking about it as a real thing, but it's still kind you of rumble satanic panic or, ju or just after. Yeah. So like kind of after mm. what we usually think of as a satanic panic, when governments and police weren't really prosecuting people anymore, but, right. but people were still. What is that spillover effect, right? If, a, if, if an authority figure like the state are, 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 are having these kind of conversations, just because they dead them and move on doesn't mean that the population necessarily does. That that cultural right. narrative still exists. Yeah, and that cultural narrative has never gone away since the 1970s. And it's a major part of QAnon, for instance. So mm. when people were sort of saying QAnon sort of came from nowhere, well, if you were following the threads, it was very clearly where 
kind of two different threads that had been there for a long time came together and happened to hit on something that really matched the zeitgeist mm-hmm. of the age and so boom it goes large but in some ways it's like it's almost like a, a little brand that comes together for a while and it's already kind of dissipating you'll mm-hmm. see the the save the children people are sort of associating themselves now a bit from trump and the trump people are you know they've got their own thing going on um but it's all it, the, those narratives are all still always there mm-hmm. there are a relatively small number of people but there are reasons why mm-hmm. it suddenly goes big and people get interested in them now very it's very seldom that these last though right this is the thing i think if you look at um uh you know uh, january 2021 or you look at the mmr thing and you think well suddenly everybody's convinced that that um vaccination is bad it's not long term going to be the case as i said there's been anti-vax protests since the 1880s it it blows up it subsides it's it's to do more with like complicated different currents coming together and you get a perfect storm for a while Mm -hmm. but I i don't think we have the evidence to say that this is um, that everybody is gradually becoming a conspiracy theorist or a cultist, mm-hmm. that, that it, it's not really what's happening. Um, which, which is interesting. I mean, one thing I would um, argue, though, that we that we have seen with the Internet, I mean, in, in a lot of our, our work, we we run media literacy programs. And one of the things that um, unfortunately we have to do is is sometimes go on these online spaces to see what the kind of latest narratives are, which can be an incredibly depressing endeavor sometimes, mm-hmm. as you probably imagine. But yes. one of the things that I find um, that I can't help but wonder is that, you know, pre-internet, um, like, you know, the incel movement, for example, like men uh, being misogynistic or toxic towards women, this is nothing new. This has been around for for, for, for years. Um, this is something that was mainstream, is now kind of getting out of the mainstream because of um, equality, feminist movements, etc. But, you know, if you take the, the incel movement, for example, or, or movement or any conspiracy movement, pre-internet, you'd have, you know, say 100,000 people following a movement, just to say a stupid number. But they would be dotted around countries, different states, different cities, whatever. Um, there wouldn't be that emboldment that I think we're potentially arguably seeing now where a, a, an online community can come together and you can feel like you're part of thousands of people, which technically you are. So it makes it feel like it's bigger, but then therefore potentially emboldens you. Whereas pre-internet, you know, it'd be you and two idiots in a village. And and I'll kind of be the holding that belief. Just you, you see what I'm saying? Whereas before yeah, now, no, absolutely, yeah. you can talk to people in Japan, you can talk to people in the US, in Russia, in Ukraine, in in in, in Syria, wherever, um, that may share your belief. Yeah. Um, and I've I've often the the line I come out with is uh, in the um in the global village, there's a million idiots, right? Right. Um, so, and you're absolutely right. So there is this new um, delocalized way of making communities where that didn't exist before. But it's that does not in itself mean that the internet is causing these communities. It's part of a bigger ecosystem that we have to take the whole thing into account, mm-hmm. right? Now, would we have had the Me Too movement? If, if, if all of these women were isolated in their local areas? Perhaps not. Now, I think that what we have to think about is that both of these um, different groups are in, their, in part of a larger reassessment of sexual behaviour, uh, g- you know, gender politics and so on, which is 
kind of produced by the internet in the sense of that it allows different forms of communities. Mm -hmm. It allows people to come together to work for all causes. Um, but that also means that it, there's going to be negative aspects of it. Now, had the incel movement not come together, it might have been harder for us to challenge it is another aspect. Mm -hmm. um, there were certainly misogynists uh, long before. Oh, Christ, we just, yeah. <laughs> we, they were maybe just harder to find. And one thing that we don't know is how much of that kind of incel stuff was going on before the internet um, or, you know, in the very early days of it in, in kind of uh, before we were looking at it. Yeah. So um, again, you're right. Um, but I think the larger picture is less negative mm -hmm. um, once we take everything into account. And also, I just don't know that this is so much caused by the internet as rather this is part of the new way of thinking about the world and communications and communities that the internet has produced mm -hmm. that we're still getting our heads around. We shouldn't only focus on the negative aspects, we should focus on the whole ecosystem, mm -hmm. which I think actually is gradually benefiting. You know, the the, the situation with with um, uh, misogyny, overall, things have improved in the internet age, right? We've got the Me Too movement. We've got all sorts of organizations tackling it head on that they never did before. I would say it's, recently, been, it's been, I mean... It, you know, you could talk to a bunch of people, and they would say that actually things haven't necessarily improved. If you consider Sir um, Sir Everard, the the scandals with the WhatsApp groups and the Met Police. What I was going to agree with you saying that maybe not necessarily improved, but what things have like you you can't deal with a problem if you don't know it exists, right? Right. Yes. It's the same exactly. with it's the same with um when you saw you know groups in the states talking about how bad. Um, things were in in the case of you know uh, police officers killing um, killing people of color in the states. Arguably, yeah. that's always that's always happened. We just didn't right. listen. Yes. The fact exactly. that now yeah. we are faced with evidence, it may not necessarily see that things are getting better because you know having a video of someone getting killed is still someone getting killed, right? But right. you can't deal with a problem if you don't know it exists, or, or if you exactly. refuse to believe it exists. Um, right. I was at, um, I was at an association where there was, um, at the AGM, there was a movement, there was a, a, a suggestion that we should put a, a, a sexual ethics uh, clause mm -hmm. in the constitution, you know, to protect people. And, and an older colleague, like a retired colleague, um, said, um, they supported the idea, but they said, it's just so sad that it's come to this. And a, a light bulb went on in my head and I thought for that person, okay, so it was an older man, right? So he, he presumably hadn't been aware of this stuff. Mm. He, he maybe just to him, as far as he knew, it never happened because nobody talked about it. There was no way for these women to report what had happened or to be taken seriously, right? But from his mind, there was all these young people coming in and, 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 uh, and there was suddenly all of this sexual assault that, that had never been talked about before. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And I, th I think this is part of the point that, um, yes, this stuff's coming to light. Yes, a lot of it's really unpleasant. Mm -hmm. But with light on it, you know, we can begin to address it. From our Twitter page to our Facebook feed, it often feels like the world is full of doom and gloom. Since the media have now expanded to include the internet, where accountability and monitoring is almost entirely absent, an ever-increasing supply of erroneous information can be found. 
This is not surprising when one considers how our social media platforms and algorithms have a vested interest in capturing and keeping readers, viewers, and listeners. Bad news tends to be good news for the media. Distressed single mother loses only son to evil cult is a much more enticing and sensationalist headline than young man joins new religion. But that's not all there is to this story. The expansion of online spaces has also opened up the floodgates for us to tackle and reconcile with many of these issues that were already prevalent pre-internet. Under the right circumstances, our media landscape can actually serve to uplift and heal individuals in a manner that is profound and far-reaching. So what role, responsibility do you think the media plays in exposing cult groups such as the ones you were in? Yeah, uh, for my personal story, um, my, my group was on the news in 2018 and, and then later on as well. Um, and that was very, very powerful and healing for me. Um, obviously, they, they couldn't give the whole picture. Um, and, and around that time, that was when the Cambridge Analytica story came out. So that got in the way a little bit. So they couldn't do the follow up. But mm. even that one news report, I, I, you know, you've been in a group, you're isolated, you're lonely, you come out, you think it's only you, you're trying to scavenge around the internet to find anybody else because you think it's just you and you're the problem. And when all of a sudden it's on the news, the, the healing in that, I can't even describe to you how much healing I got in that split second of seeing that news report. Um, you know, massive, crying my eyes out. All of a sudden, I'm connected to all these different people who have been through these horrible things to do with the same church and charity. Um, you know, really, it was it was almost <laughs> if I should it was almost spiritual but I don't want to use that phrase and um, but it almost was it, it just went this weight off my shoulders because I thought mm. it's not just me like this has happened to person after person you know and because of the media I got connected with all these people and found out these other stories of people giving fifty thousand pound and having their lives ruined and people trying to the cult trying to get the claws into people's businesses and finances and all sorts of stuff going on really healing um you know and you know the media can, can play a very important role role with responsible reporting you it's know. interesting you mentioned responsible reporting because yes. you know the media is often a double-edged sword and it's interesting that you say because uh, you know there's kind of two things in my mind here that you know seeing a news story plastered all over the tv that you were a part of in a small way yeah um you know some people may say, oh, that, you know, that, that could lead to potential shame because you were involved in it. But but you yeah. say it, it kind of leads to, to, to an overwhelming emotional happiness that, that, you, yeah. that these people have finally been exposed for what they yeah. are. And you finally kind of been vindicated in a way, um, which is, of course, great. But then you've also got that kind of double edged sword of are we giving these these groups publicity? Because, you yeah. know, tens of thousands of people will have now heard of this group. And of course, the phenomenon of people, um, you know, not trusting the mainstream news and, and potentially disbelieving what mm. the mainstream are saying about the group. Yeah. Um, I do wonder if sometimes um, the idea of responsible reporting needs to be explored because can this lead to more people yeah. joining them if it's not I, done I, correctly? It's a good point. I and mean, it, it makes me think, you know, maybe the media's got a role, but but can't do it on its own. Right. So if, if if there's responsible reporting, but also education in schools, <laughs> then the two will work together really well. 
There's an interesting dynamic at play here. The internet has widened our worldview beyond our own individual comprehension. Where we can go from watching a heartfelt video about a deaf baby, hearing its mother's voice for the first time, to reading about Russian troops executing innocent Ukrainian civilians, all in a matter of seconds. To make matters worse, social media platforms have opened us up to an overwhelming amount of mis-, dis- and malinformation. At times, I wonder if it's a miracle we haven't all thrown our hands up in distress and retreated to the days of the printing press. However, once technology has been discovered, it can't be undiscovered. We need to learn to utilize it for the betterment of us all. As we as we kind of agreed, the, the internet, like like with any technology, and I never want to ever associate technology like the internet, social media, etc., with a good as a bad, because at the end of the day, tools are tools, right? You you can use them for a number of different things, um, but with the kind of destruction or, or the kind of removal of any kind of um, you know gatekeeper as such we ourselves almost for the first time i'd say in our collective history in a way we need to become our own gatekeepers there is no specific narrative being peddled towards us which again is a positive until you realize that actually a lot of us have never done this before so we've got no idea what we're doing so i guess what kind of advice can you give to individuals to kind of better i don't know if protect themselves is the right word but you know be be better funnels for our own uh, for our own selves when it comes to say things online or, or, or whatever else when we're again because there's, there's a lot of good stuff out there on the, on the internet there's a lot of positivity that comes out of it but at the same time there's also a lot of pitfalls right to arm themselves I guess is that <laughs> is what we're, we're saying um it's our right to bear arms I guess right <laughs> yeah so there's normative language for you um okay uh Right, to tie this back to where we started, I mean, I was talking about the way that terms like religion and cult kind of don't have substantive meanings. They're ways that one group legitimizes or delegitimizes another, often not consciously, but they're reflecting their own kind of bias, mm -hmm. right? So becoming more critically aware of these kind of, the way that... Um, not just the source of what you're listening to, but the kind of world that the language they use reflects, right? Mm -hmm. um, the language, the sort of the, the categories, the way that we organize people um, tells us a lot about the morals and the way that people see the world, right? So training ourselves to be aware of how people are using language. Mm -hmm. Like if somebody says, oh, they're not a religion, they're a cult, ask what do they mean by that exactly? Do they mean they're abusive or do they mean they're small or they're new or that they think they're all mindless? And the same as like, when people talk about brainwashing or, or um, charisma or all these kind of words that actually when you start looking into them are not anything like as solid as we think they are. So that kind of, it's, 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 it's not necessarily media literacy, but it's part of the same thing, right? It's, it's training yourself to, to, to become more aware of people manipulating you by using emotional words actually I mean, we, we, we consider it a part of media literacy okay good yeah so um and yeah like um uh, people using emotion mm -hmm. or or trying to trigger fear by saying they're coming after your children or these kind of 
you know, it's a simplistic example. Well, I mean, hooking onto hooking onto uh, children is a prime example of you know because parents are oh, yeah. overwhelmingly emotionally attached to their kids. Which I mean, don't get me wrong, right. I'm not criticizing that, but that makes you vulnerable when, when oh, you're yeah. when you're being yeah. hit with something that is um, that something that you're so emotionally invested in, you almost can't not get hooked onto that in a way. Right, and as I've said, a, a lot of the time when conspiracy theories go mainstream mm-hmm. for that short period of time, it's almost always children, right? It's vaccines, it's uh, it's child abuse, mm. it's 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 a striking thing, and it's in some ways because it hits a new audience, right? It hits that um, that mum's um, neck kind of audience of here's a threat to your children, we have to act, right? Mm-hmm. And that's often when it goes when it goes wide. Um, I would also urge people to, right, people talk a lot about bubbles on the internet. Now, I kind of often push against this because I worked in catering for a long, long time and everybody there was reading the same Murdoch-owned newspapers and watching the same news sources, right, day in, day out. So people have always been in bubbles. But one thing so that you don't the internet... subscribe to that whole, I mean, because obviously, you know, algorithms push... Yeah, the uh, the algorithmic bit is different, okay, mm-hmm. and that I I don't disagree with that. I I wonder if the degree to which bubbles cause these things mm-hmm. is exaggerated, because as I've said, there were always bubbles. They were just, you know, when one company owns all of the media that you're reading, you're you're in a bubble, right? Right. Like if you're watching Fox News day in day out, you know, you're not on the internet, but mm-hmm. you're still in a you're still in a bubble. That's just the would you would you accept though that um. The difference between the two, for for instance, if you are um, subscribed to Fox News and you're only listening to Fox News, you kind of know because you see the brands everywhere and you know that you're only listening to one TV channel, right? Uh, or if you're reading only only one newspaper. But the the issue with um, social media aggregation and bubbles is that on social media, you are given the false narrative that you are getting a variety of opinions because the articles from the blogs or the newspapers are all different. But at the end of the day, because the algorithm wants to get you to click on things, they are pushing narratives that they know you like because you've clicked on them before. You may have read it. So you're getting, you know, five or six different publications, but they're all from the same lean. Mm. So you're you're almost like, you know, you think you're getting a variety of opinions and a variety of views and a variety of, of, of ways of seeing the world. But in reality, you're not. You're just getting. Well, that, but that's exactly the same. Mm. If you're if you're watching Fox News, you think you're watching a news show and the commentators coming on are representing different opinions different sources right but they're not they're carefully selected and there's no real even pretense of objectivity Mm -hmm. um within the organization right um but i do no i I absolutely do accept that the algorithmic aspect that is is um that's there is some effect there yeah Mm -hmm. i just i I think the i think the overall effect is probably exaggerated a little Um, however one thing that the internet and social media does allow us to do is to seek out alternatives. So um, instead of subscribing to a news source, for instance, you could subscribe to a news agency like Associated Press right, and get more uh, objective reporting. You can also report to, um, you can also subscribe to sources that would maybe be politically different to yours. Like for instance, I subscribe to Financial Times. The report I get from them are very seldom reflect my own political um, opinion but having that side of the story makes my decision making uh, 
I hope, more objective. Mm -hmm. You can find sources. There are very, very rational and sensible people who are challenging mainstream um, narratives, as well as all of the lunatics who are, right? And if you can find a few of them, they'll help you spot the um, disinformation and misinformation coming from the people that you have traditionally trusted as well, or at least make you ask questions, mm -hmm. right? That's the important thing. Um, no, that's that's that's, in, yeah. that's interesting. No, thank you so much for that. And I think it's it's a very important point there. That uh, well, I mean, several points actually. That you know, one making sure that you have a variety of sources. But when I say when we say variety, so we mean trusted variety of sources that have that kind of ethical fact based journalism. You may not agree with the Financial Times, but they are good journalists, um, right, and, yeah, exactly. and they're a good publication. Do you know what I mean like? Um, you don't necessarily have to agree with something to understand that there has been rigor, fact checking, and so forth to go behind it. And then you know, if you disagree, if you disagree with it, um, but having that kind of like more varied worldview is something that we can all very easily get. You know, there's no excuse because the internet is there; it's it's available, um, and utilizing those benefits. And one thing you mentioned about um, you know e emotive language and emotional hooks is something that we subscribe to it's a massive part of, of media literacy which is essentially critical thinking mm -hmm. you know if someone is uh you know if an article is is making you feel exceptionally angry or frustrated or if, or if a story is making you exceptionally angry like asking yourself as to why what's the reasoning behind it there is always something behind a story in a sense of like what's what's the what's the reason that that publication or that journalist wants to make you feel that way if there is such a harsh emotional reaction often the good thing to do is to step back and actually researching a little bit more like is it being covered in other places um who is it being covered by you know what's the other side of the angle if there is one um because then you get a much more rounded um story and the one thing i would say as well is the importance of being right as opposed to being first in the sense of just because you see a story that has made you emotionally angry rather than sharing it with everybody you know because that you want to be first to share this thing, actually spending a bit of time to research it and so forth, making sure that it's actually factually correct before before sharing, I'd say, is, is really important. Can, can I add a, yeah, little, of course. a little thought there as well? Um, one of the reasons that, you know, conspiracy narratives, cult narratives and so on have been so visible in the last few years is because that emotional language is working on people because they are angry and they are frustrated, right? Mm -hmm. um, but their anger and frustration would be better channeled towards challenging the reasons mm -hmm. that that's the case. And the reasons that's the case is the massive wealth inequality and, um, you know, that, 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 that has happened to the world in the last 20 years while we've been focusing on on other issues people are really struggling and that's not going to get like for instance in the uk right now okay that's going to get worse over the next 12 months oh, yeah. no doubt about that so um we should be watching out for a rise in sort of conspiratorial thinking all the rest of it but at the same time if all of that anger and frustration that went into looking for non-existent groups of satanists or whatever went into actually you know changing our political system so that it was a little bit fairer and there was less inequality in our in our state we that might be a more effective way of challenging this stuff mm -hmm. you know the medium um isn't always the problem sometimes it tells us what the problem is and one of the things the internet is telling us is that people are 
angry and frustrated. For decades, our governments have regulated and blocked certain types of information from entering into the public mind. But in contemporary Western democracies, information is no longer filtered by national governments and regulatory bodies. Instead, the internet has created a free-for-all of information where like-minded individuals come together in online spaces to solidify bias and spread one-sided arguments. The emergence of a global community has given us the ability to connect to individuals from a metropolitan city like Tokyo, to those in the outskirts of a small French town, to simply just our family members up north. But with this reality, there comes a responsibility for us to act and become our own gatekeepers. Vulnerable people will continue to fall for coercive cult groups, misogyny will continue to affect women, Trump supporters will continue to proclaim that Joe Biden's inauguration was a fraud. The internet is not the problem, it is the medium by which anger and frustration has become visible for all. How we choose to reconcile and deal with that anger and frustration is a question we must all ask ourselves as members of this global community. Thank you for listening to season two of Media Minded, the show guiding you through the age of disinformation. This podcast is produced by Shoutout UK and edited by Sabina McKenzie-Brown. Make sure to follow Shoutout UK on Twitter and Instagram to get updates on all of our upcoming episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to the Media Minded podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast fix. This episode is made possible by the generous support and sponsorship of the US Embassy in London. Thanks for listening and remember, stay informed.